everybody. I'm here, flying solo again. The great Christy Walters was not able to join us. There's a last-minute little thing that popped up, so you're stuck with just me. But I've got great news for you because Amy Rehovchek is with us. And um, I met Amy uh, recently, about a month or so ago, um, as we record this, because uh, we're both kind of affiliated with Sales Hacker and the community over there. We both produce content for that channel. And uh, so we reached out, had a conversation with her, and I said, Amy, I have to have you on this show. So I I don't know exactly where this is going to go. I know we're going to talk about sales enablement. We're going to talk about learning. We're going to talk about the digital workplace that we live in remotely right now and how that's affecting the brain. And she mentioned something about kids. So I'm going to turn this over to her in a minute. But first, Haskins. Hey, Christy, would you say that we have a sales podcast? It depends on the day. (laughs) You need to have some goals. You need to have some intentions. You need to have a why. I think you're absolutely right. Those personal conversations turn into business Mm -hmm. conversations. Who better to have a conversation like that than you? Aw, that warms my heart. (laughs) And we're back. Amy, I'm cutting right to it. Um, We got a lot to talk about today. Oh, love it. You are a sales enablement professional. You've been working in enablement now, building out teams. We've had a little bit of discussion here offline. We had great talk in the green room, by the way. If you guys haven't gone and uh, signed up to listen to those green room discussions where um, seemingly innocent questions turn into great conversations, go check that out. Go to thewhyandthebuy.com forward slash packs, and uh, you can sign up for our green room playlist there. But um Amy, where do you want to start? I buy, Jeff. I buy. I need to sign up for the green room. (laughs) My goodness gracious. (laughs) I forgot about the way that we met. Guys, Jeff is not giving himself enough credit. I found an article that he wrote for Sales Hacker that had the word multi-threading in it. And like, I'm a special type of, of crazy that like I have alerts, Google alerts set up for this word because, uh, for, for a couple of key reasons. And I think Jeff, the, the initial, the message was like, how did you get to this word? Like, please tell me everything. And it, it was actually a great story, but, um, yeah, multi-threading Jeff had a, like the only one on sales hacker talking about it, it was amazing. Amazing. I had to meet this person. (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, That turned into a conversation that turned into another conversation that turned into this conversation. So um, how did you kind of arrive at sales enablement? Now, that's that's something that um, now I I believe sales enablement is important. I also believe that trending hashtags are dangerous. So how do you balance the two? (laughs) What does a trending hashtag have to do with sales enablement? Well, it just seems to be one of them, right? One of them. Yeah. So... What was the first part of the question? Well, how did I, I believe that sales enablement is important? Oh, how did I get there? Yeah, how did you how did you get there? How do you arrive, and how do you um, how do you determine what's important when it comes to sales enablement, and not? I'll ask the question better. How do you determine what's important and not get caught up in just the flurry of people who are tagging it because they think they know what it means when they don't really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, what a great question. So. <sighs> an important place to start. And that is that sales enablement, technically speaking, is very new. Mm -hmm. Um, Really only like five, six years old, which means that there's no standards yet. Mm -hmm. Right. And so every, even with like interviews or with another sales enablement professional, I still, still start the the meeting with what does sales enablement mean Mm -hmm. to you? For me, it's 
it's a very different and specific thing, but I also know that my version is not the norm in that I think more often than not, you know, people are looking for just like a sexy rebrand of like the same old, same old sales trainer. And that's just not what it is. Um, mm -hmm. but that's okay. And I'm cool with, you know, everybody taking their time to get there. But for now we're, I'm always, and going to continue starting with what does sales enablement mean to you? And then here's my definition just so we can have that baseline. Um, how did I get to it? So I have ADHD. Um, I wasn't diagnosed with it until, um, in my mid twenties, which is not uncommon for, for girls mm -hmm. and contrary or for women, contrary to popular belief, ADHD is not a, a focus disorder. It's a mood disorder. And the idea it's like you're hypersensitive really. And, and what happens is you, um, you, your feelings come at you or whatever, and you get hit with them and they are, uh, a lot stronger really than what most people mm. experience. And so the same goes with all senses, sound, light, whatever. And so I had, but in college, right. Is when it really started, I had been trying to hack better ways to learn, um, for years. And I wish I had like altruistic intent, like in college, like all I wanted to do was, you know, spend less time studying so I could spend more time having fun. So let's be serious about that. <laughs> right. But I read somewhere that like the, um, the, your sense that is most closely tied to memory is your sense of smell. And so at the time I'm probably dating myself, but Victoria's secrets had these like body sprays and there were a shit ton of them. Like you'd go into a teenager's <laughs> room and they're covered the dresser. It was the, all the rage. And so I had a lot of them. And so I would take a smell, like app, whatever, and assign it to a class every semester. And when I would go to the library or when I would study that class, I would douse everything in, in you know, that scent. And then when I would walk in for the test, I would do the same. And so now times that by, you know, 15 years, I've never stopped. I knew now back to the sales enablement, when, when I and mind you, I used all this while selling, right? How do sure. I control the other factors to get people to change their behavior, to make better decisions, to try things that are scary, you know? So all of it, it, it all is connected. Um, but at the same time, I like, I knew that I did not want to be a sales manager. I knew it from a very, very, from very early on. Mm -hmm. And that's a really hard thing uh, to come to terms with, because what do you do with 10 plus years of experience? Like, what do you do? Right. And so what I did is I, I went through my, my resume. I, I encourage people to do this all the time, actually. So I'm glad that we're coming in, or covering it. And I, I went bullet by bullet and I put each bullet into one of three categories, right? Loved it, hated it, indifferent. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I teach people how to do this, I, I encourage them to keep the three categories like even as much as possible, right? So you have to make these decisions, right? You can't love everything. You can't despise everything. Um, you can't be indifferent to everything. It has to be an even three. And what, what I realized when I came out of this, um, now I guess I, one quick caveat, when I was at my final job selling, I was at Thomson Reuters. I was an account executive in the legal sector and I was a part of like an adjacent business unit that was responsible for court data. Um, and, but we had like Westlaw had an entire, like 300 people strong of account. Like they had a field force. They were the primary field force for everything. I, and it was a great team. However, every new data product court data product that our team spun out, the first thing I would do is teach my friends. Um, who were in the field and would were able to like you know understand and open opportunities and they knew the clients and so 
there were there was a period um, at my last job again as an AE where I was also actively like creating brand new training programs for cutting edge tech stuff. Um, anyway, that said, it when I went through this exercise with my resume, I realized that training and teaching peers sellers mm-hmm. had always been one of my favorite things, and it. And so like even like training the the clients or the prospects in the context of a, an enterprise motion, like I loved it. And so that's what kind of started the path. And and it's funny because I didn't necessarily have a name for it, sales enablement, until right. like three months after. Um, but it was because I had honed in on what I loved most about um, what I did and who I wanted to help moving forward, which is the field, the front lines, period, end of story. Um, you know, that's how I got to, to sales enablement. And so, yeah, I agree with you and what you say about what's the difference between the hashtag and all that silliness. Um, yeah, it's a shit show. It is an absolute shit show. Every place is different. (laughs) Um, most of the time I would say like 80% of the job descriptions that I read, I like don't even like, it's very obvious which which ones get it and which ones don't. Like very very obvious. And again, I I eighty percent of them I've just got very little interest in because I know it's not going to be impactful. Um, when the goal is again helping people grow and excel, and then of course, uh, bring in money revenue. It, it's it's really interesting because um, you know look I, I came from a very non digital industry in orthopedic medical devices. And we had these people on our team called product managers, and they were responsible for bringing to market our new offerings, whether it was a new material, it was a new implant, it was a new whatever it was. And um, they just, and this was all I knew. When a new product came out, we'd have a webinar, they would give us all of the background, they'd give us the design rationale, they would give us all the uh, marketing materials that we needed. We got studies, we've got brochures, we've got all the digital images you want. We got all these things and we're here for you anytime. You need something in the field, you let us know. I'm like, well, okay, that's just marketing, right? That's what I thought. That's where I where I kind of grew up, right? And um, then I leave that industry, come out and people are talking about sales enablement. People are talking about social selling. People are talking about account-based marketing and things like that. And I'm thinking so, social selling is meeting people where they're at. That is not new. That's just a new hashtag. Account-based management is uh, tailoring your message to the people who need to hear it in a way that they want to hear it. That's not new. That's just a trending hashtag. And sales enablement, wait a second. 15 years at least. And that's when I started, you know, giving people what they need in order to go to make sales. I didn't realize how uncommon that is. I didn't realize how little sellers were given and what they're given is um, really boilerplate, run of the mill, and then go figure it out on your own. And it's like, how would you not empower your salespeople to go be successful. Like when salespeople win, everybody wins. This is not a revolutionary concept. I think um, in some ways it's unfair to salespeople to expect them to make up the playbook as they go along. I think um, it's obviously respectful to people to give them a lot of, to salespeople to give them a lot of credit. But like, I I just don't, maybe it's only five or six years now that it's been a an actually no, recognized no, term, right? That, yeah. that we're talking about, but people have been doing this for a long time. This is common sense. Why isn't it so common? It's crazy. It's crazy. You were spot on about how bad it is. And what what's interesting, I think with you and I, where we maybe have some, we have different backgrounds, but also bigger backgrounds, mm-hmm. right? When you get like this echo chamber that is Silicon Valley, 
um, is fierce. Mm -hmm. It's fierce. And it's mind blowing about how illogical it has gotten. Like, here's what I mean by that. It's more common for a sales leader to actually truly believe that they have gotten their selling everything down to a science, meaning that there is no art left. Right. I mean, look at how we treat SDRs. We're managing their days down to, we're managing not only what they have to do, but how they do it down to the day and task. Doesn't pass the snuff test Which, for me. Okay. All right. Fine. But they have no idea. They have no idea, right? They don't know. Right. They don't know. They're new. This is, and now imagine like what this, what type of people that you're creating right? That are kind of moving up your funnel. So in, when it comes to like AEs and sales process, we call them dynamic systems, right? So I have a green belt in process improvement too. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, you don't meet many of us in sales either. So it's just like when people talk to you about their process, you're like, yeah, okay. oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Got it, buddy. Got it. Oh, no validation rules in your cell. Okay, great. I'm for your data. It's fantastic. Thank you. Um, but anyway, so uh, when you create a process or a system that is flexible enough to adapt, mm -hmm. right? And so what you got to do or is to empower essentially your front lines to recognize what's going on, right? Test and experiment with different ways to deliver value to the prospects or buyers, and then scale up those wins up and out quickly, right? This is the, this is how company, companies are adapting right now. You know, so you hear the company A, right? It's talking about, oh, nobody's buying right now. There's no business. Woe is us, blah, 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 blah. And I, it always makes me chuckle because it's like, you know what, buddy? You are absolutely right. No one is doing business with you right. or your team. Right. However, the team right next door, right next door is selling the very same thing they've got an adaptable system and they've already pivoted and are nailing it right now. Not only are they nailing it, but there's no more competition because you guys have taken yourself out of the game. Right. Part of me before COVID was like super frustrated by like how pervasive this thinking was. Like look at Miller Hyman has a talent study that they did. And I think it was like last year, it was something nuts. Like eight, over 80% of sales leaders do not feel as though that their current team, they have enough talent on their current team to do what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And this floored me. I remember like feeling rage when I read that because it's like, whose flipping responsibility is that? Right? Like, and I'm the, like, have lost count how many times I've petitioned to come up with new or better things to teach sellers. And it's right. all, you always get the no, you always get the no. And so it's just like mind blowing to me. So anyway, I know we're like way off on a tangent. However, really? the atrociousness that is the baseline thinking, mm -hmm. right? For, for most um, tech sales leaders is, I mean, I, you actually have to be working very hard to not look at any of the studies or research that suggest where productivity and performance come from, right? Mm -hmm. I, and I'll give you a hint. Autonomy, autonomy is, a, is a decent part of it, as is you know, happiness or whatever. So again, I, at the same time, it's frustrating, but at the other time, like COVID is just uh, ensuring that all these legacy um, thinkers that are not open or willing to adapt or look at like the harm that's being done. Cause we burn through people mm -hmm. burn through them in our profession. Um, yeah. I don't feel bad anymore because I know that they're not going to survive that much longer. 
in this competitive environment. I totally agree. And, and I mean, it's been several months now. I can't believe how long COVID has persisted to this point that we're, you know, um, I, I wouldn't have thought, I actually didn't think it was going to last as long as it did, but who did? Um, I remember talking to Larry Levine about this several months ago about how this is accelerating digital transformation, if you want to throw out another hashtag, but like forcing people to think about things differently, where um, everybody was nice and in their comfort zone and moving right along forward progress, the economy was doing okay, the stock market was doing really well, there was really no reason to change anything. We saw all these good justifications for, hey, why can't your people work remotely? Hey, why can't you do more of these meetings digitally? Hey, maybe why, why can't you transform your sales team a little bit? Well, when you don't need to, you don't. But now you throw a random, seemingly random uh, variable into the equation, and now the whole world looks different for some organizations. And for some, it looks almost exactly the same. But this is kind of speeding the, 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 the process by which we learn new skills. And, and you mentioned autonomy earlier. You've mentioned, you know, before we started recording, um, the, the digital workforce, the remote workforce. You mentioned learning the process by which the brain does learn things. And you also wanted to tie that back toward the way kids learn because you've been paying attention to some friends of yours who have some young ones and, and really just kind of studying the way they learn. I watch my kids learn and, and it's, it's remarkable to me. Some of the things that they do just on their iPod or their iPads, they'll create these videos and they're like, I'm in iMovie regularly. I, I edit film sometimes, right? But I keep it so surface level because I don't want to get you know, distracted and down any wormhole that I don't need to go to. And they're adding special effects. They're doing these zoom in, like it's, it's so cool to watch their brains work and to see the digital physical representation of that. Um, so what is this, I guess, what, what is our current situation here? What is that driving home for you? What is it underlining or um, making more indelible for you about the way people learn and about the way sales teams need to be enabled to continue to learn. Hey, you know, we have a website for this podcast, right? What I love about it is that you get pictures and show notes and everything organized in such a way that you can actually search by your favorite episodes, by the most downloaded and most popular, by our Monday musings, by our interviews, by our what you reading kind of podcast. So check us out at www.theyandthebuy.com and let us know what you think. So just a quick point of um, information. I agreed with 99.9% of every word that came out of your mouth with one exception. Um, COVID isn't speeding the way that people learn, right? The way that people learn has always been the same. Mm -hmm. In fact, I do, I like stoicism and mm -hmm. Ryan holiday. And so it's, it's actually like here, I didn't, Epictetus is what I read every morning. Um, or some kind of like, you know, philosophy, mostly because yeah. I, I still, I, I was raised in a very fundamental Christian household and I have, want nothing to do with it. So when I can tap back into like, you know, old school wisdom that Ancient feels wisdom. like, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, but whatever. So anyway, it's like, I, it never ceases to surprise me that everything that is described in these, but like, it's all, there's nothing new under the sun. Sure. Nothing. Nothing. Okay. So there's nothing that's changed about the way that humans learn. Nothing. I think, and you know, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but what's changed is that the results that we were getting, right, has changed in that like we were, we're bringing in less revenue, right? So we're just, let me slip to the salespeople side of things. 
And it's because of that dip in revenue. And this is a whole different topic, but I really feel like we've lost the plot on um, like financials, basic understanding, um, understanding profit margins and costs and effectiveness. Like it's very difficult to have like a, a meaningful conversation when with someone that just does not understand the basics sure. of these principles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is a common thing in, in sales leaders, right? Top line revenue, no problem. We got it all figured out, but that's where it ends. Okay. So that said, now the revenue is not coming in. And so people are, are starting to look closer and harder at, okay, why? And that I think is what's changed. Um, why, right? Why are we doing it this way? Why isn't this working? Like, okay, let me go talk to my people and have them tell me, right? We haven't done any kind of exercises like that. Um, you know, talk to your your sellers before you have marketing come up with a new case study. You know, it just, that hasn't happened in a while, right? right? So again, I don't think it's the speed of learning that's changed. It's, it's, how we're responding to it um, and how clear and easy it is to look at our results that are suffering. That's what's motivating us. Now, there's also a part of this where not everybody is choosing to, to grow, right? There are plenty of people that are waiting for COVID to be done, right? And for things to go back to normal or, or, or whatever, just going to be, you know, content complaining about the current state. And, and this is across the board. And so, that's cool too. Um, I, again, I don't care, whatever, everybody to each his own, but not everybody is choosing to change. And I, frankly, I prefer it that way because it makes those that are, it's easier to win. Mm-hmm. It's faster to win. So again, and this is like, you know, evolution 101, right? Now, how it relates to children. Okay, so there's some basics about learning, right? Learning really about retention, right? How do, sure. how are how much of what we're giving to someone is being retained. And this is where you can even say like uh, KPIs, right? So think about the the success metrics for most training programs. Um, it, even in the sales world, it's always about like how many people attended, how many people completed. Maybe there was a little, you know, quiz at the end, for whatever. But that's where it ends. There's no connection to um, how well the information is retained. And there's very little understanding of what kind of actions that are very indicative of trying to apply what they've learned versus those that are not, which is a massive difference. Mm-hmm. Um, these are things that I often measure in like Google and G Suite, right? They've got an accessibility dashboard and I'll create, like I have a whole thing, whatever, but most people don't measure this stuff or their learning indicators. They prefer their lagging, you know, improvement in win rate or whatever the the standards are. Mm -hmm. For kids though, and schools and teachers, like they, they've got, they stand zero chance, like zero, zero, zero chance because it's so new. So even in places where you've got like incredible intent, like the teacher, right? Loves and wants to do the right things for their kids. They've just never had to keep the attention of eight-year-olds digitally yeah. before. Yeah. You know, when you don't have a, a physical presence there to, um, you know, kind of command that attention, it's really, really difficult to do, um, you know, outside of the classroom, outside of a normal classroom. The equivalent here for the leaders in this story, right? This is being put in remedial something is the equivalent of being, you know, 
fired, right? For right. not performing. There's a big difference between someone who is putting out the effort to change and to grow and to get better and then not getting in the results versus those that apply no effort. Mm -hmm. Massive difference. We don't distinguish between those two things, right? That's a problem. And yes. it's easy to do. The second, on the other side of it, though, in order to adapt quickly right now is going to require a new way of thinking and approaching the problems at hand. Um, and, and it's not a new way in the sense that, you know, the methodology has changed, but we need to work a lot harder to challenge the conventional wisdom mm -hmm. as sales leaders. Mm -hmm. like way hard, way, 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 way hard. Like, why are we doing it? Well, like that, how did it come to be these ways? And that's not up for debate. And the great news is that the leaders that are changing and adapting quickly, you know, obviously their people feel it, right? You're going to, those organizations are going to attract talent, obviously. Yeah. No, you feel um, like you're in good hands. However, the ones that don't, are not going to make it for that much longer. And therefore, like, I'm delighted. I, I'm not going anywhere. I'm still in my, you know, mid thirties. So like, I, I, I don't care which way you go. Like there was a period, Jeff, where I like carried the, the harm. I just saw it everywhere. And I, that, that hurt me. It bothered me. I didn't want to be a part of the decisions, but I, I I burned myself out, right? That's not a healthy long-term strategy. So don't do that either. Sure. However, um, I, I don't want to say this is a, uh, it's not, it's certainly not a threat. I mean, no disrespect, but I just um, know about history and evolution and how, uh, you know, those that do not adapt um, will eventually die out. Keep up or get left behind, right? Yeah, I, I'm just excited. I know it's a hard time right now and it's hard to keep your chin up, but from, from where I'm sitting, great change, great disruption presents a phenomenal opportunity. Um, Couldn't agree what, more. What is it like? So bad times, like bad, like poor companies go under, good companies like survive and great companies like thrive. They use it to change and get better and stronger. And we haven't had something like this in a long time. Mm -hmm. And I am... It's been a joy to work with leaders that are changing and adapting and growing. And it's been a joy to uh, feel less sad about all the harm that the everybody else is doing, because I know that those days are numbered. I said this um, to a group of clients a couple of weeks ago. I said, um, you know, when times are good, you can afford to get a little loose. You can afford to uh, be a little sloppy with the work that you do. Um, when times get tough, it's really important to tighten up your processes and make sure your I's are dotted, your T's are crossed. And um, if you can manage to be tight when others are playing loose, you will thrive. And that is true in good times. It's true in bad times. It's true in all the in-between times. If your game can just be sharper than those of your or than, than that of your competitors, you're going to succeed. You're going to you're going to dominate. Um, can I ask this? So, Jeff, I know we're all at the end here. I just I yeah. want to ask one question about that, because I think that in the same way that we've I use lost the plot, but it's become very apparent to me that many sales leaders have lost um, 
like they're they're not good with the business financials. Hmm. Um, specifically, like top line revenue, no problem. Like we got that in droves. Sure. However, sure. but understanding the connection or the dots between cost and efficiency and profit margins. I mean, you talk about this, I mean, you just see eyes glaze over. And so yeah. it's hard to, so this is where I think it's, intent is good, right? That's step one, right? Mm-hmm. I have a desire to do this, but then it's like, okay, what am I, what am I doing? Or where am I as a leader? Like, and I would just venture to, like, I would say, look at that, right? Look at your own understanding of the numbers of the business. And, you know, if you don't even have to take responsibility, like blame it on the venture capitalists that, you know, are, are having all of us chase after unicorns and, you know, a hundred percent top line revenue growth in a short period. Like that is all nonsense. That's nonsense. Mm -hmm. Um, It's important, but it's not the only way. And it's, going to be next to impossible to drive effectiveness without being able to connect your your activity to your results and then look at your results and, and make them better and stronger. So many ways to go with that. Um, and and I, I want to ask you a very important question here really quickly, but I'll, I'll, I'll touch on this. If all you're judged by is top line revenue, then that becomes your only focus and you don't need to worry about the other stuff. But for so many companies that are out there for whom top line revenue isn't as uh, important as bottom line revenue or bottom line profit, um, there's a huge disconnect there. And I think that's where it gets really muddy when people who shouldn't be adopting those models end up adopting those models of just sell, 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 prospect, prospect, prospect. Somewhere along the line, the operations has to happen and or the operations have to happen and that department has to take responsibility for the actual P&L. Um, but that's, a, we, could, we could talk for hours about that, Amy. We probably will. <laughs> We're so far away from that. Like yeah. that's where, and it's like the aha moment. And it's funny because I, I love that you said that about linking your compensation to your or your reward system, which I mean, can we talk about the irony? But in the article, um, the one that I'm I'm I just finished, we I was joyous as I was pointing at the CEOs that are now the compensation is now tied to DEI, like Starbucks, mm-hmm. I think was the big one. And all of the pressure that's coming down from the boards and from the even the financial arms in New York City, like are saying, we're not going to do your IPO if you don't have like at least one diverse member on your board, you know, so and then it's coming from the grassroots, it's coming from the team. And it's like this little teeny holdout in this like sales leader level land, or I don't think it's just sales, but at that like leadership level that I mean, you have to be trying hard to not be tying your compensation to like true progress and true results. Definitely. So and again, you're going to, we're going to die out those that continue not to do that. So, you know, no worries. It's just, it's, it, it's forcing that, uh, that transformation as we mentioned exactly. before, but exactly. Amy, let's, let's, you know, the, the question everybody's been wondering here and you've alluded to it a couple of times as a lot of guests do, but, um, what would you say is your why? why I wake up and go to work or why I uh, want to tell a story right now or both. Dealer's choice. <laughs> it's funny how things happen that I guess they're not really that different anymore. Um, 
I do it for the sellers. I do. I, I consider myself an advocate um, for the front lines. It's been years now of sitting in these rooms at these tables with sales leadership. And the hardest part about switching from a frontline contributor to a support function is ha- like learning how pervasive the thinking is about like salespeople, like they, they are not problem solvers. They, they cannot manage their time. Like we're going to fix that. And it's just mind blowing the, the disconnect. And so, um, at this point, I, like I said, I have to let go of like, you know, doing the math on the harm and the people that are burned out and like, you know, my, you know, my story, my story's out there. Uh, I'm speaking from experience. And so for me, I, why I think that this is the greatest profession in the world, in the world. Can mm-hmm. you imagine? Like in the world, I literally, I feel so grateful to be here, to continue to be here. And it just, it feels like a diamond. You turn into a diamond after years and years of pressure, right? I want other people to feel and experience that, but hopefully with maybe a little bit less pain, a little bit less, um, struggle uh and uh, you know without having some of the the really down swings that that most of us go through um in this profession too specifically as it relates to to mental health and and the way that we structure the business of sales right now like outcomes happiness is based on an outcome and for sellers that that is never that never is satisfied you know if you hit your month you hit your quarter maybe you got a weekend to like celebrate so we have to teach one another how to find joy along the way and that's what I'm going to do. And that's now what I'm going to be shouting from the rooftops as well. That's tremendous. That's tremendous. Amy, um, where can people learn more about you? Yeah, it's a great question. So LinkedIn is easy. I'm in the process of launching a, a, a website, a blog, but that's LinkedIn is the best place. Um, I'm definitely over at Sales Hacker and the community. You can tag me anytime. Um, yeah. And I, like I said, I'm delighted to help in any way. So please do not hesitate to reach out. Awesome. Everybody, you heard it. Um, This woman's got a lot to say. She's got big thoughts. She's not afraid to tackle big concepts and stuff that really impacts the entire profession. And whether, look, whether you're selling SaaS or you're, you know, carrying a bag for, you know, a construction company, or maybe you're just running your own business, it doesn't matter. These are things that are, um, like, we're wrestling with a situation and we're wrestling with changes in our business communities right now um, that we've never never had to uh, encounter before. And we've got to think really proactively about all of the elements that go into all the variables that go into the equation. And um, we got to be willing to tinker and and get the mix right so we can all be successful. So Amy, thank you. Thank you for being here. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking again very soon. And um, everybody listening, I don't have a, I don't have a partner to bounce this off of anymore. So I have to, I have to handle and not fumble this closing all by myself. Amy, Rehovchek certainly knows her why. And when you know your why, your how's and your what's get much better. We'll talk to you again real soon. Christy and I know that you have a lot of choices out there as it comes to podcasts and your time is valuable and limited. If you like what we're doing here, please share it. Tell a friend, subscribe to us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, wherever you get a podcast. And if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email, info at the com. You will hear back from us and we will probably have some questions for you. So if you want to engage with us, we want to be engaged with and we look forward to hearing from you. 
Christy and I were looking for a house band for the podcast, and we were told the roots were busy. So we found the next best thing. They're called Haskins, and they are gigging regularly in southeastern Michigan and all the time at HaskinsMusic.com. Go check them out. The Why in the Buy podcast is a Pot About It production. You have a great idea, let's pot about it. Visit potaboutit.com for more information.